0: You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit slash Therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's slash Therapy30. C13
1: Originals.
2: If you have any tips as it pertains to this story, please reach out to tips at gangstercapitalism.com or our tip line 347-674-6980. We can ensure anonymity.
3: It was my dad's favorite organization. The pickup truck I drove in high school had an NRA sticker on the back. It was the world I knew. It was the world I came from. I. Grew up in rural South Carolina in gun culture. My uncles and my dad and I would go hunting often. And guns were always a thing to be respected. They were part of a male initiation rite where when I'm 12 years old, I get my first gun. And you go out hunting. And it's a way to be involved in the Davis clan, to be part of the Davis clan. Meet. Aaron Lee
2: Davis from Cope, South Carolina.
3: We come from a very close-knit Southern Baptist family where we would believe that you can actually speak with God. You, You could hear God. And I had moved to DC after teaching special ed back in 2005. And I get there and I'm driving down Interstate 66 and I see the NRA building and I feel like some kind of spirit inside spoke to me and it said, this is where you're going to work.
1: The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a
4: gun. I think it's fitting that if this is going to be the last time that I hunt this very special place, that Wayne and my Pierre join me.
3: All of our efforts changed into, let's build a team, let's go out, and let's get money.
2: I'm Andrew Jenks. This is Gangster Capitalism, season two, the NRA.
3: I'd never been in really even in a tall building before. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of a scary place to work for someone who's out from the country, rural area, more comfortable in a field than in an office. And I see it like as an opportunity. If I'm going to go into the business world, if I'm going to learn, it was a great place to be to teach me the way the rest of the world works. In
2: 2005, Aaron Davis took a job at the NRA as a temp sending out direct mail, and then quickly got moved into the Office of Development to raise money for the NRA Foundation. The Office of Development was there to solicit donations to support the NRA's original core values of marksmanship, firearm safety, and education. Donations were mostly small and sometimes left in people's wills. But Aaron noticed that things began to change almost as soon as he got there.
3: All of a sudden, they bring in a fundraiser from Duke University, who is a phenomenal fundraiser, business guy. And he's gonna bring a university model of fundraising to the NRA. And then he says, the goal is to get gifts of 25,000 or more. By the year 2010, we're going to raise a billion dollars. So, everything, all of our efforts changed from sending out direct mail letters saying, you know, thank you for giving your $250 for the NRA Foundation's Firearms Museum Endowment, into let's build a team, let's go out, and let's get money. As time went on, we were created to become the Office of Advancement, which is another fancy word to say development, but we were showing that this is a new thing and we're moving forward with a whole new vision. When that was built, that reported to Wayne LaPierre. So we were reporting in a structure that was led by someone who's very political. in their whole makeup, their whole MO is politics. As Wayne LaPierre said in our meetings, he would say this, We need to build a financial wall of freedom so high that the Chuck Schumers, Nancy Pelosi's, and Hillary Clinton's of the world can't go over it. So the idea was to protect the Second Amendment using money that we were going to raise from wealthy people. It empowered us to go speak to donors who typically give to politics. Big money. The goal of the organization from the top, at least as it felt to me, was politics. Let's win these political battles. Let's stop all these bad people from taking away our freedom because we're in an existential war. And that was the way it was pitched to us. This is a life or death issue. So everything is focused on this issue. And so your whole mindset, everything, every cell within you feels as if you are fighting a mission that is God's mission, that you are fighting for the heart and soul of America. And you've got this leader, Wayne LaPierre, who has fought the fight since 1991 and he keeps going and he's strong and he's not gonna back down and you get behind that. But the foundation, of course, can't talk in those terms.
2: According to the IRS, donations to a nonprofit set up like the NRA Foundation are tax deductible, which makes it attractive to donors. But those donations are prohibited from being used toward political campaigning. ILA, the NRA's lobbying arm, is also a nonprofit, but is set up so that donations can go toward politics, which means they are not tax deductible. Ideally, a donor would be able to have an impact on politics and then deduct that donation. But that would be against the law. However, according to Aaron Davis, they found ways around these barriers.
3: You can do limited reaching out for money support that has to do around elections. It just can't be your main focus. It can go to educate on the importance of voting. If you got a mailer, it would say the NRA Foundation wants you to vote, right? So you see the word NRA, but it's not the NRA, it's the NRA Foundation, wants you to vote. And that's where you can raise money because we can do half of the work, which is the educating to vote. And then the other half can be done by the ILA, the Institute for Legislative Action. And because you, as a donor, Value firearms as so much a part of your life, this is a perfect place for you to invest and leave a large major gift to the NRA. So that person could come back and say, Well, I need a tax deductible gift. And one of the things you could do is say, Well, you know, we'd like you to give $100,000. Can you give 50000 of those dollars to the NRA in the politic bucket? and do $50,000 in this other bucket, which is to the foundation, which is for education, museum, that sort of thing. And what I watched through time is that those lines became blurry. It felt very unethical to be mixing them the way we were and feeling like even the foundation money was in the end going towards politics.
2: In 2010, the foundation's advancement team hired a new leader. His name was Tyler Schropp.
3: Tyler Schropp, he came from the for-profit world. And we're all thinking, you know, here's this other guy who has raised a billion dollars in his career who was our former boss to now someone who's never really done it. Someone from the public relations company, Ackerman McQueen, who comes in and had no- Hold
2: on. I want to make sure you didn't miss that. Tyler Schropp, the man brought in to run the advancement team, was an Ackerman McQueen employee. Well, technically, he came over from the Mercury Group, which, as we discussed in Episode 3, was owned by Ackerman McQueen. And the Mercury Group was run by Tony Macris. From my cold, dead hands... That's not Tony Macris. That's Charlton Heston, former NRA president, delivering his famous line to NRA supporters. You'll remember from episode three, Heston's right-hand man for years, even before he became NRA president, was Macris. And he also had helped save Wayne's job. Well, back in 1985, Macris had hired Tyler Schropp to help handle Heston's media requests. Later, Macris hired Schropp to work for the Mercury Group, where he held the position of treasurer. And now, just like so many other employees who came over from Ackerman McQueen, Tyler Schropp was put in a top position at the NRA with financial oversight of the advancement team. Back again to Aaron Davis.
3: Someone from the public relations company, Ackerman McQueen, who comes in and had no evidence of having raised money before. And it's a very confusing moment for all of us because we're trying to figure out, well, why is he in charge? If you think about it, you know, here's a for-profit company sending one of their people in to lead a nonprofit department that can then move money back to the for-profit company, Ackerman, by giving Ackerman work. We watched our budget increasingly go to Ackerman McQueen for magazine production, beautiful magazines, with beautiful design. I mean, design that would cost hundreds of thousand of dollars to pull off for high-end events with screens the size of a football field. I worked really closely with Ackerman, and for anything that cost me over $5,000, I didn't see that in my budget it went off into Tyler's budget, which no one saw. So whatever his budget was, no one in the office knew what it was. No one knew if he was spending millions of dollars. Is it legal, is it not, is it ethical, is it not? Like, you're, you're constantly wrestling with that when you do think about it, and I didn't often think about it. So I didn't know, and I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out because this is my job. I saw it as kind of a career advancement thing. I knew that if I worked with Ackerman McQueen on a project or an event, it was going to be higher quality, it was going to cost more money, and I would get support from NRA staff much quicker. And I was always encouraged by Tyler to give money to the best place, which was Ackerman McQueen. And as I worked with Ackerman McQueen more, my stock in the organization rose. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm getting promotions, it feels good. So it was the fast lane. I could get things done. There were other fundraisers who would call me and say, I can't get this in front of Wayne LaPierre or Tyler because they won't answer my call. And I could do it because I worked with Ackerman and I was trusted as someone who understood the game. It took time for me to see that we were becoming almost an Ackerman department. And that was the direction we were moving under Tyler. Also under Tyler,
2: despite the department having more than 30 employees, the Advancement team paid outside consultants millions of dollars to help identify potential donors and simply for advice and support. One of those consultants was a former NRA employee who retired in 2008 he continued to be paid as a consultant, regardless of how many hours of consulting he provided. And in 2017, that person was paid almost a million dollars. But Aaron Davis quickly rose among the ranks of the advancement team. His dream at one point was to earn $50,000. Now he was being paid $75,000. According to tax records, in 2017, his boss, Tyler Schropp, was paid more than $700,000. On top of that, there were his travel expenses, which in that year alone reportedly amounted to an extra $450,000. Selling
0: a little Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. I'm Emma. I'm Julie. And I'm Isabel. Together, we run Comments by Celebs on Instagram and host the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's creating hypothetical scenarios, dissecting the latest trends, or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We start the week with a full-blown pop culture breakdown, analyzing all of the biggest headlines. Next, we discuss all things Kardashians. Recapping current episodes or taking a trip down memory lane to relive some of their iconic moments from the past. And for our final episode of the week, we serve you a full Bravo breakdown. From recaps of Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, Summer House, and more, if it's going on in the Bravo world, we've got it covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Right now, on the National Rifle Association's Under Wild Skies, old friends make new adventures on safari.
1: Whoever thought a kid from Southwest Virginia would get a chance to hunt Africa, but what I like about it is the community, the camaraderie, the uh, friendships, get out there in the outdoors with nature,
3: but...
2: That clip is an excerpt from a television show called Under Wild Skies. And in it, Wayne LaPierre and his wife, Susan, are on a hunt in Africa.
0: You think I can hit that far? Hell yeah. You hit him. What do you think, honey? <laughs> I'm glad you were there to back me up. <laughs>
1: Congratulations.
0: Thanks, sweetie. <laughs> That's
1: a good buffalo. Oh, I think so. You shot well. Way to go.
0: Congratulations.
2: The image of the big game hunter going on global excursions was one that Ackerman cultivated for the NRA and for Wayne LaPierre. Sorry, knowing that you were there made a big difference. They were moving away from your mom and pop's NRA and were becoming a lifestyle brand. In an executive bio from the 2018 NRA annual meeting, Wayne LaPierre is listed as a skilled hunter from Chesapeake waterfowl to African Cape buffalo.
1: Well done, Wayne. You're right about one thing, I'll tell you. You don't shoot him, you haunt him. Wow.
2: Thank you. But in the Under Wild Skies clip, there's someone else there with the LaPierres. Wayne often jokes that he spends more time defending our rights than exercising them. Tony Macris.
4: Wayne and I have been friends most of our adult life. I've known Susan a long time, too, and I was at their wedding. We've worked together. We've traveled a lot together, and for them to be back here was very special to me.
2: Remember from episode three, Tony's had a long history with Wayne LaPierre. Tony became a top executive at Ackerman McQueen, as well as its subsidiary, the Mercury Group. And many see Tony as instrumental in Wayne's rise to power, as well as helping Wayne keep his power.
4: You know, every year it's a struggle of what gun are you going to bring because I've got so many that I want to try, so many I want to see how they work, so many I want to put them back in the field in Africa again. Tony also loves antique guns. I always got to bring an 86 Winchester because, you know, I grew up shooting Leverett. But more than that, Tony loves to hunt. I've used it with great success. I've taken two elephant with two bullets with it, lots of buffalo. So I
2: brought that. But Tony isn't just along for the hunt with the La Pierre's. He's also the host of the show and president of Under Wild Skies, LLC. And since 1992, the year after Wayne LaPierre became executive vice president at the NRA, and the year Macris was hired as an executive at Ackerman McQueen, Under Wild Skies has had a lucrative sponsorship deal with the NRA. According to an internal NRA audit report back in 1996, for several years, there wasn't even a formal contract between the NRA and the show. The deal was a verbal one. But just from 2010 to 2018, records show that the NRA paid under wild skies $18 million. Okay,
3: thank you. Good shot, good
4: shot, good shot. I've never gone wrong when you said shoot something, shoot it. i tell you what, we've covered this little sour with glory, haven't we? Man, I'll tell you that, that really... Serious gun, serious gun. I love this
2: glass. A source who wishes to remain anonymous with intimate knowledge of the 1996 audit report, as well as the inner workings of the NRA, explained to us that hunting was one of the ways that Tony Macris has helped Wayne LaPierre stay in power for so long. There are 76 members of the board of directors at the NRA, not including executives, and many of them love to hunt. But it's not often that people get an opportunity to hunt for animals like elephants in Africa. A trip like that can run around $45,000 per person. Over the years... Several board members and executives have appeared on Under Wild Skies for these hunts, thanks to the NRA. They get to hunt with Tony Macris for free and be on TV at the same time. And in return, they can be counted on to maintain the status quo. For years, Under Wild Skies aired on NBC Sports. But in 2013, an episode aired with this. Oh,
4: oh, 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 oh. Okay, watching, him, watching, him. got him, got him, got him, got him. Watching, watching.
2: The gunshots you heard and the trumpeting was the sound of Tony Macris shooting a sleeping elephant in the face.
3: And we did it, and well done. Good shooting there. Congratulations. That was
4: exceptional hunting and a lot of fun. Thank you for a wonderful hunt, buddy. Thank, Thank you,
2: you, Then, when criticism grew, Macris said this in his
4: defense. You know, I guess that's okay, ducks. Yeah, okay. Pigeons, oh, they're flying rats, okay. Rabbits, well, rabbits are cute, but yeah. squirrels. That's nothing but a rat with a tail, with a fuzzy tail. And I said, well, deer, deer eat all my mother's roses in Long Island. And I go, so I can shoot all of those. Mm-hmm but not an elephant. No. Do you realize if you subscribe to that philosophy, you're committing a very unique form of animal racism? (laughs) And now they're shocked. And they said, but they're so big and special and they're smarter. And I went, you know, Hitler would have said the same thing.
2: After that video surfaced, NBC Sports canceled its partnership with the show. Ultimately, the show continued to air on NRA TV until severing ties with the NRA and filing a $17 million lawsuit against the NRA. And after more than 30 years, Tony Macris and Wayne LaPierre's relationship was over. But one last note to this story. As I said, Tony Macris was the president of Under Wild Skies, LLC. His treasurer was Tyler Schropp. The same Tyler Schropp that worked for Macris with Charlton Heston, and later at the Mercury Group, which of course was owned by Ackerman McQueen. And yes, the same Tyler Schropp who was brought into the NRA to head up the Advancement Division as Aaron Davis' boss.
0: They said it couldn't be done. They say it bordered
1: on impossible. When someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them.
4: (laughs) And now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners.
1: We got listeners! No way. Amazing!
4: Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so happy we're at Odyssey now. Oh my God, they're amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast. You heard it here last.
2: When we left off with Aaron Davis earlier in the show, he was discussing how things were easier for him on the advancement team at the NRA Foundation if he worked with Ackerman McQueen once his new boss, Tyler Schropp, was brought in. Remember, Tyler had come from the Mercury Group, where he worked for Tony Macris. And Tyler also had a stake in Under Wild Skies. Macris's company that owned the hunting show by the same name, with, of course, Tony Macris as host. Here's Aaron again.
3: So increasingly, Ackerman McQueen builds out a lifestyle, almost culture change. And so often as a department, what we're pushing is this high-end experience. NRA is not just your five, 10, $25 donors. It's now these folks who go on hunts to Africa. It's now these folks who hunt roebuck in Romania, or Mongolian sheep. I went on a fishing trip to Alaska to spend time with people who had given a lot of money to NRA in the hopes to solicit them for more. Well, the organization is paying for that trip for me. That's major guest fundraising. It's a way to raise more money. It's a way to build relationships. Those relationships that make the world move And you had access to a group of people who had a personal vested interest in courting NRA-type folks. So if you have a safari in South Africa and you're charging $25,000 to come shoot a lion, those folks would want to court or reach out to the same donors we're chatting with because they have the ability to pay for that. And those people, in some way or another, were going to get access to Wayne LaPierre So it's like, you know, if I spend time with Wayne LaPierre, the assumption would be this person would be able to make a large gift. We were trying to make wealthy conservative donors see that NRA is playing in a different space. That is typically not something that a nonprofit can play in. In addition to hunting, The wealthy conservative
2: donors that Aaron and his advancement team were soliciting were some of the same people who were heavies in political donations. And Aaron noticed that the NRA that was a part of his heritage as a kid growing up in South Carolina had become something very different.
3: I remember I was leading an event at a governor's mansion, a Republican governor. And Wayne was a special guest with the governor, and we invited folks that we were going to solicit for donations or cultivate or get to know. And we're sitting there in the room, and someone asked Wayne, why should we give money to the NRA over like, the Republican National Committee? And Wayne's analogy was, it's like a three-legged stool. You've got what the Koch brothers are doing, and that's great, you know, the Tea Party. You've got the Republican National Committee and they're working hard, and that's what they do. But NRA is the third leg of the stool. And without all three legs, the stool falls over. NRA is a master of metaphors. He actually says this is really not just about the gun. He says the gun is a metaphor for a way of life. So it's not just trying to take away the thing you hold in your hands that goes bang is trying to make you irrelevant, is trying to call you country bumpkins, is trying to say you don't matter, that the world is run by elites, and you're not one of them. And so I'm starting to see the NRA as like the banner for an entire group of people to pull themselves away from civic participation on a national level, to start to separate, to build walls, as you know, Wayne would always use a metaphor of a wall of freedom. We're building walls between Americans. And I'm on this side of a battle, right or wrong, that's actually splitting America apart.
2: For Aaron, everything changed on December 14th, 2012.
0: The majority of those who died today were children, Uh, beautiful little kids between the ages of five and ten years old. They had their entire lives ahead of them, birthdays, graduations, weddings, kids of their own.
3: And then Sandy Hook happens, and the emotions of the entire office change. Less people are in the office. We hear nothing from Wayne. We're told by Tyler, our executive, to not send out any emails unless it's already been approved through him. So if you had something that had to go somewhere, he had to approve it. We're buttoned up on our messaging, and and basically we don't have a lot of work to do. Because we're waiting for this response from Wayne. Doesn't come. We get more nervous in the office because the media has gone full force against us. But at the same time, we're also questioning maybe there's just cause here. Because this is a horrible event, could it have been avoided? And people in the office don't know how to respond to it. They don't know how to deal with their emotions. There's nothing inside of NRA that's saying, well, let's have a little counseling over this. How do you feel? Do you have kids? None of that stuff's happening. It's an awful tragedy. Everyone's quiet, dour, just in this just zone of what is gonna happen next. We've got protesters out there. We're just all being very careful No communications other than face-to-face communications. And it takes a full seven days for Wayne to finally come on TV. Good morning.
2: On December 21st, Wayne LaPierre addressed the nation on behalf of the NRA.
1: The National Rifle Association, four million mothers, fathers, sons and daughters... Join the nation in horror, outrage, grief, and earnest prayer for the families of Newtown, Connecticut.
2: As LaPierre addressed the nation, a protester interrupted him.
0: NRA, stop killing our children. It's the NRA and the assault weapons that are killing our children. And they are the perpetrators of the crimes that are taking place in our schools.
3: There were co-workers of mine who started cussing out the guy who jumped up. And that shocked me, because of the the emotion that was there. That we were now attacking this guy who was attacking us, which I'm not saying it was right for him to use that venue to do that, but now we're in this place of, it's a fight, right? We feel it, we feel Wayne's bringing the fight.
1: While some have tried to exploit tragedy for political gain we have remained respectively silent. Now we must speak for the safety of our nation's children because for all the noise and anger directed at us over the past week no one, nobody, has addressed the most important pressing an immediate question we face. How do we protect our children right now, starting today, in a way that we know works? The only way to answer that question is to face the truth. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun.
3: There are people in the room, other coworkers who start cheering. Wayne's right. Yeah, he's right. After the interview that Wayne did, which almost the entire world, even Republicans, called tone deaf, and not getting it, where he blamed everybody but NRA, but the gun. He blamed the schools for gun free zones. He blamed it as society, video games, all these other things. There was almost this round of applause from my coworkers because there was this feeling of release of anxiety because we were in the dark for an entire week. And finally, we heard from our leader for the first time. And the comments are that we won. That there was an acceptance of this Wayne DaPierre doubling down. He wasn't giving up, he wasn't backing down, and that felt like a place of strength. And I think people in the office Loved that they now had some sort of strength. Me, personally, I felt like I was in the 1984 novel.
2: According to the Washington Post, just a few days after his speech about Newtown, Wayne LaPierre and his wife hopped on a private jet and flew to Eleuthera, an island in the Bahamas known for its pink sand. The NRA claims it was for donor outreach, but in any event, it was a trip they billed through Ackerman McQueen, nearly $70,000, which was ultimately paid back with NRA money, brought in by donations.
3: It was one of the things that prompted me to go public. I felt compelled for the sake of the donors that I worked with who were giving money that the truth would be made known. And nonprofits are supposed to be for the general public, the public good. I think what we're seeing at the NRA is that people on the nonprofit side also see the dollar sums. And they're treating it more as a for-profit. And when the lines get so blurry like that, what's lost is the donor who trusts you with their money And it's this big game that a lot of people are getting rich on. And now I see like the game is kind of out. Hey, NRA, this is your chance to change, to reform, to say, we're sorry, we messed this up. Let's fix this. I love the people I worked with. I think it's the best job I've ever had. But for some reason, it just stirs inside of me that this is not right for America.
2: next time on Gangster Capitalism. It really looked like he was being groomed to take the spot of Wayne LaPierre to become an heir apparent. And yet it turns out that he's really just kind of a scumbag. One of the top executives in the organization leaves one trail of failure and corruption after another.
1: Not only do dead men not tell tales, but people who are still being compensated very, very lavishly, don't tell tales either. They're much less compelled to testify against the association while they're being compensated so well.
2: If you have any tips you'd like to share, please reach out to us at tips at gangstercapitalism.com or you can leave a voicemail at 347-674-6980. For more information, go to gangstercapitalism.com and follow us on Instagram at gangstercapitalism or on Twitter at gangstercapital. This has been a creation and presentation of C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Zach Levitt, and me, Andrew Jenks. Written and directed by Zach Levitt and me. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge and Perry Crowell. Edited by Perry Crowell. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Research and production support by Ian Montt. Production management by Terence Malingone. Studio coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork and design by Kirk Courtney. And marketing and PR by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. Our original score is by Joel Goodman. And our theme song, Your Sins Will Find You Out, is by Eli Paperboy Reed.